Shannon, I'll get you later. <laughs> Here, Nate, get me to my page, would you? All right, let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 17. Thank you, sir. Sorry about that. Revelation chapter 17, we start a new section in our, our study today, one that is largely about the mystery woman. Let me uh, read our passage for us this morning. Revelation 17, I'll be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18 from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord, his authoritative, his inspired, his inerrant word. Let's pray for help as we look into this uh, strange chapter of God's Word. We do pray for your help now. Father, send afresh your Spirit to quicken me as I preach now, uh, quicken my mind and my heart, and as a congregation, quicken us as well, Lord, with your Spirit. Open our ears to the truth about the mystery woman. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and Father, I pray that we would put your truth into action today. May your word be living and active and transform us as we hear it and attend to it. Strengthen us with your grace as we do this, Christ Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, just a few moments ago, we read a warning from 
uh, Proverbs chapter 6, and the word of God warns us, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. In the next chapter, there's even a, a more graphic a picture of this woman and a young man succumbing uh, to her seduction. And Proverbs 7 says, With much seductive speech she per persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Revelation chapter 17 is a warning like these. Though it's not an actual woman John describes to us in chapter 17 and also 18, but the glamorous and seductive world around us, the mystery woman, the great prostitute, or Babylon the Great as she's referred to here, just as seductive, just as deadly as the woman Solomon described to us. A Puritan pastor writing several hundred years ago gave this warning about the mystery woman we read about here in chapter 17. Uh, Thomas Brooks said, When 1,000 are destroyed by the world's frowns, 10,000 are destroyed by the world's smiles. The world, siren-like, it sings us and sinks us. It kisses us and betrays us, like Judas. It kisses us and smites us under the fifth rib, like Joab. The honors, splendor, and all the glory of this world are but sweet poisons that will much endanger us if they do not eternally destroy us. Now, you think I'm being melodramatic? You think I'm exaggerating slightly just to get your attention? Uh, you think I might be using uh, a dramatic speech to arouse uh, your interest now at the beginning of the sermon? But I warn you, it's not just the men. It's not just the young men. It's not just young women. It is people of every age who face the temptations of the mystery woman every day of the week, who succumb to her temptations, who uh, stumble and fall by drinking the wine of her sexual immoralities. Friends, we need to take heed to this word from the Apostle John. How do we avoid what Solomon said, being captured by her eyelashes? How do we escape the lure of the mystery woman, elude the seduction of the glamorous world around us? How do we evade falling prey to Babylon the Great? There are four characteristics of the mystery woman in our chapter this morning. And by uh, examining and understanding these four characteristics, they help us elude being captured by her eyelashes. The first characteristic that we see of the mystery woman, it's not showing up back there. It doesn't bother me, but I just want you to know. Is <laughs> uh, her debut. Uh, the first characteristic is her debut. Uh, the mystery woman is revealed to John by an angel. 
uh, one of the angels who poured out the seven bowls, in fact. And John says three things about the mystery woman here in her debut. And the first thing that he tells us about the mystery woman is that she tempts. She describes the mystery woman as someone who seduces. She's a temptress. Look at verse 1 again with me. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. John reveals this woman as a temptress by calling her the great prostitute to begin with. Uh, describing her activity as sexual immorality. In fact, she is not just a prostitute. He calls her the great prostitute, the leading prostitute, the notorious prostitute, if you will. Down in verse 5, he refers to her as the mother of all prostitutes. It says in verse 5, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great mother of prostitutes and of her abominations. She not only tempts herself, she also spawns others that tempt as well. Uh, Dr. Joel Beakey comments, she's not just an ordinary prostitute. She is the mother of prostitutes. She is the queen bee in the hive of prostitutes. Now, while sexual immorality was widespread in the ancient world, and while it did play a large part, heart in pagan worship, uh, John is probably not referring to actual sexual immorality when he writes this. Uh, the immorality uh, is often used as a figure of speech for spiritual unfaithfulness, for, for spiritual adultery, for worshiping false gods. This is, this is how it's used throughout the Old Testament. And remember, John draws heavily from the Old Testament. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah use immorality to refer to idolatry. He says, uh, Jeremiah says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Uh, you hear the Lord crying out, Why have you left me, my young bride, and been unfaithful? That's how John is using sexual immorality here to refer to spiritual immorality, to idol worship, even though we don't worship carved things. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul uses it the same way. Thank you, Nate. I appreciate it. Uh, Paul, listen to Paul use sexual immorality the same way, referring to, to spiritual unfaithfulness. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I, I, I led you to engagement to Christ, but, but I'm afraid you're about to leave him. For a false apostle and his false teaching. And so, as John refers to this woman as a prostitute, he, he's not referring to actual sexual immorality. But no doubt that was present uh, in the ancient world and especially in pagan idolatry. He's referring, ref, referring to her as a prostitute, describing her as someone luring people away from Christ. Luring people away from the worship of God to, to false gods. She's not an actual woman, but she tempts people like an adulteress does, like we read about in Proverbs 5. One scholar says the symbol 
of an adulteress indicates that which allures, tempts, seduces, and draws people away from God. So, John reveals her as one who tempts through this metaphor, figure of speech, as a, as a great prostitute. But he doesn't stop there. She also lures and tempts. We see how she seduces through the name Babylon the Great. He doesn't describe her just as a woman. He also describes her as a, as a city. Babylon the Great, this is down in verse 5, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Prostitutes in the Roman Empire would wear their name on their brow, which is what this refers to, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. A prostitute, but also a city. Again, she's described like this down in verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The mystery woman is, is an unbelieving central location for wickedness and seduction. She is the world. Not planet earth, not the created world, but the world system described throughout scripture as, as uh, the system opposed, relentlessly opposed to Christ relentlessly opposed to the word of Christ, relentlessly opposed to the reign of Christ. This is what John refers to elsewhere in the things he's written. In, in the Gospel of John, he refers to the world in chapter 15. Jesus' words say, if you were of the world, that's the woman we're reading about, the temptress, the seductress, Babylon the Great, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The, the mystery woman is the one described in, in the first uh, uh, John, where he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's not talking about plants and trees and, and grass. He's talking about the glamorous stuff of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Again, listen to Dr. Beakey. He says Babylon symbolizes the world, not the creation, but the world is a spiritual, moral entity created by man in opposition to God. Throughout Scripture, Babylon represents the world of sinners opposed to God. It's not confined to a particular place, time, or culture. Babylon is a continuing presence and power in human history. Babylon then is the world as the center of industry, commerce, culture, and power. This woman stands for everything that tempts, seduces, and draws people away from God. She affects every one of us in the room this morning. Not one of us will make it through the day without hearing the seduction of the woman whispered in our ear. It might come through a sporting event on TV. It might come through your Amazon wish list. She tempts to begin with. In her debut, John says that she tempts. She seduces. He, he reveals this to us by calling her the great prostitute and by calling her Babylon the great. But not only does she tempt, John goes on to say further that she dominates. She not only tempts, she dominates through her seduction and temptation. She rules the world. Look again at verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. These waters 
are explained to us down in verse 15. If glance down the page, and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. She is present everywhere. And then it goes on to say, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. There, there's no one on earth whom, does she, whom she does not influence in some way, uh, from kings all the, ways, all the way to those who dwell on earth. Again, that phrase in particular is how John refers to unbelievers on planet earth, those who dwell on earth or, or dwellers on earth. That, that, that's a reference to all who have never put their faith in the atoning death in Christ. There is no one who escapes the temptations of the mystery woman People of all classes, kings, earth dwellers, have all been taken by her allurements. Listen to this comment. No nation, no class, and no generation is safe from the clutches of this mystery woman. Her clientele includes capitalists and communists, dictators and presidents, as well as both rich and poor. There is no system of government, no political ideology, and no human philosophy untainted by this woman. She's everywhere. Not even the church is safe from her. She tempts. She also dominates. She dominates the world. Well, in this debut, John goes on to say a third thing about the mystery woman, and that is that she intoxicates. Those under her influence are often completely taken in and completely captivated by her. Uh, this is in the second part of verse 2, the last half of verse 2. Notice how, notice the, the figure of speech he's using uh, in verse 2. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. They lose their ability to resist her. They're drunk with her seductions, completely taken in by her temptations, completely under her control. This is the very thing that happened to one of Paul's traveling companions. There's a gentleman named Demas. He was with Paul. Paul mentions him in the letter of Philemon. And Paul was with, uh, Demas was with Paul when he wrote Philemon. He, Paul wrote that from house arrest. And so it's likely that Demas was a, a, a close friend who was, who was ministering to Paul's needs while he was under house arrest. But then later in his life, Paul writes the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is again in prison. This time he will not be released. He will, he will be executed at, at, at the end of this imprisonment most likely, but, but Paul gives us an update about Demas in this later uh, chapter, this later account. He writes to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Think, think about what Demas would have seen with Paul. Of course, he would experience danger as Paul did, traveling in the ancient world. Plenty of that. But also the truth that Paul proclaimed along the way, taking the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jews. And consider the privileged position of Demas, the excitement of seeing people's lives transformed right in front of him. And yet this woman is so seductive, so alluring. She has such beautiful eyelashes. That Demas falls in love with her and leaves Paul in the gospel ministry behind. And if it can happen to Demas, 
It can happen to any one of us. That we become so enraptured by something in the world around us. Some glittering thing, some glamorous thing that like Demas, it says here, we, we fall in love with the present world or the present age we live in. Oh, we love TV. We drink our fill of entertainment. We can't get enough of, of all the music this world offers us. It captivates us. And I'm a music lover, so don't, I don't think I'm a freak of nature when it comes to that. And the clothing in the art, in the culture, in the stars, and the entertainers, and the approval of those people can suck us right in just like Venus. fell in love with the present world. The third thing we see about this woman is she tempts. Yes, she tempts. She's an adulteress. She's alluring. When she bats her eyelashes, it's hard to look away. She dominates. She rules the world. There's no place on earth where her influence is not felt, where people have not succumbed to her temptations. And she intoxicates those who drink often get drunk and lose control uh, completely. This is her first characteristic, her debut. Plenty. Now we could stop there, uh, but I'm not going to. Uh, because we move on and the next thing we see is her desolation. The story is really incomplete without seeing this as well. And when I say desolation, I mean that she appears glamorous and alluring and satisfying. But in the end, she leaves people in a state of desolation and emptiness. I want to mention four things about this second characteristic, her desolation. First, I want you to see the location. Where is she? Notice the place where she is in verse 3. And he, the angel carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness. Interesting choice of words. It refers to a place abandoned, empty, and desolate. And uh, while she promises pleasure and satisfaction, while she holds out the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, in the end she is a barren, desolate wasteland and people following her find themselves in the wasteland without a drop of water to drink. Proverbs describes the end. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, spiritual death. Again, listen to Joel Beakey. Behind the dazzling lights of the, this world is desolation. The woman lives in a wilderness where everything is desolate, where you can never be filled. You only hunger and thirst for more, but nothing satisfies. Think of the example of King Nebuchadnezzar in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, he, uh, the desolation he experienced after he became intoxicated with, with the mystery woman, with Babylon, the great Nebuchadnezzar, looking out over his kingdom on the roof of his palace, said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? God's word says immediately Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and lost his kingdom. The mystery woman, Babylon the Great, nearly destroyed him. Listen to what happened. While the words were still in the king's mouth, 
There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. Babylon the Great nearly destroyed him. God had mercy on Nebuchadnezzar, restored his mind and kingdom, and that Dr. Beaky says Babylon almost ruined Nebuchadnezzar through its enticement and its seduction. The woman is located in a desolate wilderness. She leaves us in an abandoned, emptied, and desolate place. This is the location uh, of the woman. But next I want you to see about her desolation, the support. I want you to see where she gets her power from. Where does she get all this alluring and seductive power? Where, what makes it possible for her temptation and seduction to be so effective? Verse 3 in your Bible goes on to say, and I saw a woman, that's, that's our woman, the mystery woman, sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. Under her is the beast, uh, the devil's main collaborator in the holy war we find ourselves in. Uh, he was introduced, the beast was introduced in chapter 13. He's nearly identical in appearance to Satan, our, our adversary, the devil. The seven horns, uh, the seven heads rather, and the ten horns refer to the fullness of his power uh, secured through the evil kingdoms of the world. He represents people and kingdoms that persecute God's people. William, William Hendrickson defines the beast this way. The beast is the entire anti-Christian persecution movement throughout history embodied in successive world empires. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sounds like I'm in eighth grade, doesn't it? <laughs> Woo! So the beast is the one supporting the mystery woman. Her power is satanic. And then I want to show you a third thing. I want to show you next the glamour, the glamorous appearance, how she looks, this mystery woman. Look at verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. These uh, colors were very expensive to produce, often requiring people to crush up tiny shells to produce the, the scarlet color. And so they were so rare and so expensive to produce. These are colors of, of, of splendor, of, of wealth, of mag magnificence. She is, she is the picture of extravagance, the, the, the picture of excess. And then look at the, the cup in her hand as verse 4 goes on. Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Now, when, when I go to a fancy dinner and I see a nice glass set in front of me, I get the impression that I'm going to get something a little better than just grape Kool-Aid. And so our expectations are raised by seeing this golden cup. And in the ancient world, they would think of fine-aged wine, perhaps. But all that's in the cup is abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. It illustrates that she does not deliver what she promises. You expect fine wine and you get sour, clumpy milk. It's disgusting. 
Leanne Morris says the picture is, is a vivid one, combining her regal state with her utter moral and religious corruption. She appears glamorous, holds an expensive drinking vessel. She can only offer that which is completely disgusting and repugnant and detestable to the Lord. This is her glamorous appearance. Fourth thing I, I want you to see, uh, not only does she not deliver what she promises, not only does she leave you in the wilderness, not only is her power and support from, from Satan, she also delights in the death of God's people. The fourth thing we see about the mystery woman is the martyrs. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. The blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She, she doesn't just put up with the blood of the saints, the death of God's people, those who are her put to death for the testimony of Christ. She delights in it. It says she's drunk with their blood. She can't get enough. She, uh, the mystery woman, is working hand in hand with the beast. And those that she can't lure away from God, uh, those she can't tempt and seduce to stop worshiping Christ, to worship her glamorous offerings, those she cannot tempt, she is delighted to see the beast put to death. She rejoices to see believers killed by the state. Dennis Johnson comments, the threat of force and the allure of affluence worked perfectly together. So, of course, Babylon celebrates the slaughter of Jesus' people since they refused to buy into her economic enticements. We see martyrs. She glories, she exults in the death of God's people. All this adds up to the desolation she brings. She leaves, she leaves people in the wilderness. She's supported by the beast, the satanic power of government and nation. She's glamorous. But her cup is filled with crud. And she delights in putting God's people to death. There's another characteristic I want to move forward though and show you as well. Uh, we've seen her debut. We've seen the desolation she brings, this mystery woman, the great prostitute. But last, uh, third, I want you to see her duration. Uh, she is past, present, and future. She was, and is, and is to come. She is timeless. There's no period of history when the mystery woman is not present, luring people away from Christ and the worship of the one true God. She's present throughout the ages because the beast supporting her is present throughout the ages. The beast appears first in one form and then another form. Look in the middle of verse 6 where we stopped reading and look at what it says. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This uh, repeated phrase was and is not and is to come is a description how the beast from age to age takes one form and then another. It says it was and is not. One form of the beast came and, and persecuted the church. That form faded, to view, faded from view. But it says here the beast is about to rise from the bottomless pit. It will take another form, especially right before the return of Christ. And the mystery woman is present throughout the ages because her support, the beast, 
takes various forms. She has constant support from the beast on which she is seated. This is the first thing I want you to see about her duration. She, she endures through the ages because of the constant and continual form of the beast. Secondly, here I want you to see the many forms that are described. She's present, luring and tempting people away from God through the various forms the beast takes. Look at verse 9 now. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. That's clearly a reference to Rome, built on seven mountains. The present uh, form of the beast is John's writing. This is the Roman Empire, the persecuting state. But it's not just Rome. Rome doesn't exhaust uh, what the beast does. Keep reading in verse 10. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. The be- this is a reference in verse 10 to the different empires that the beast has taken. Old Babylon, uh, Assyria, New Babylon, uh, the Medes and Persians, the Greek Empire, the various forms, there's five of them. The one that is, is Rome. And the one that is not yet is, is a future form of the beast's kingdom right before the return of Christ. It says, as for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So the beast takes different forms throughout the eras of history. In John's day, it was Rome. Before Rome, it was old Babylon and Assyria and new Babylon. Later, it will be the Greek Empire, the Medes and Persians. And finally, before Christ returns, one final form the beast will take that we see described here in verse 14. They will make war on the Lamb. This is why the the woman is always with us constantly supported by Satan's henchmen, the beast, governments and nations that persecute the church. She works hand in hand with the beast as the beast takes many forms throughout history. But finally now, I want you to to see a fourth characteristic of the woman, and that is her demise. Her end comes in verse 15. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. There will come a day when fascination with the beast, uh, excuse me, with the, with the mystery woman uh, will end. And these who have been fascinated with the mystery woman, their fascination will turn to revulsion and disgust. And they will bring an end to the mystery woman, to Babylon the Great, to this world system that we live in. They will rise up and destroy the world system opposed to Christ. And John says that this takes place through the sovereign hand and purpose of God. Look at verse 17. For God had put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled fascination with, the, with the, the mystery woman by these ten horns and the beast will change to revulsion, will change to disgust. They will turn on her and they 
will destroy her. William Hendrickson says, God himself finally hardens the hearts of those who have hardened themselves against his repeated warnings. Verses 16 and 17 are a lesson for every day. It reveals the course of worldly individuals. First, they become infatuated with the pleasures and treasures of the world and harden themselves against God. Then they are hardened. Finally, when it is too late, they experience a revulsion of feeling. They are punished by the results of their own foolishness. And oh, if, if I could only give you an example of this, I can. His name is Judas Iscariot. Judas was like Paul's friend Demas. Judas was in love with this present world. He loved money. He stole money from the disciples' funds. Can you think of anything worse than stealing money from Jesus? He betrayed Jesus to the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver, 30 silver coins. Yet where was he at the end of his life? Was he basking in his wealth on some Greek island? Was he tanning himself on the beaches of Patmos before John ever got there? His love for the, the mystery woman led to, led to guilt. And he wasn't a believer. And it led to disgust. And it led to loathing at what he had done. Listen to Matthew describe it. The very end of Judas' life. Then when Judas' betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. He said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. And this is what God's word says happens to those seduced by the mystery woman. In the end, God will give them a change of mind and they will be disgusted with the mystery woman. And they will loathe her. And this is why God's word tells you and me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The fourth characteristic of this woman is her demise. Those who love her eventually turn and destroy her. The nations who had cherished her turn against her. So how can you and I escape the lure of this woman, this mystery woman, uh, the great prostitute, Babylon the great. How can we avoid, as Solomon said, being captured by her eyelashes? How do we elude the seduction of the glamorous world around us? Oh, it is so alluring, is it not? How do we evade falling prey to ba Babylon the great? We we do this by understanding four characteristics of the mystery woman in chapter 17 of Revelation uh, that we've studied this morning. Uh, we understand her debut, what she is capable of, tempting and dominating and intoxicating, uh, where she ends, 
the desert, the wilderness, uh, supported by the beast with her glamorous offerings, but putting the saints to death. How she endures through the beast and forms of government, but finally the demise when the nations who love her turn against her and hate her. This is the mystery woman of Revelation 17. May God grant us grace to resist her charms. Let me pray. You tell us, Lord Christ, that we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is the world that we ask your help for this morning. Fighting the world. Resisting the seductions of the mystery woman. That great temptress. Empowered by your henchman, the beast. Christ, we pray that you would help us resist by allowing us to find you far more attractive than she could ever be. Help us, Jesus, to rejoice in your delights. Father, thank you that you tell us you have given us everything in Christ. Thank you for your word that tells us in him we have been made complete. Christ Jesus, help us to find you as that water that satisfies the living water springing up within us through your spirit. Jesus, please come and quench our thirst with your glory, that we may not seek it in the arms of the mystery woman. Help us, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen.